Today, we're reading from the book of Isaiah for the third Sunday of Lent. Our Lenten journey through the Old Testament text has been focusing on the ways God is moving all creation to new creation and inviting us to be a part of it. I'm Alicia McClintock. And I'm Megan Pardue. And this is the A Plain Account Podcast. Today, I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. This is Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money at no cost, buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food? and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful loyalty to David. Look, I made him a witness to the peoples, a prince and commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Seek the Lord when he can still be found. Call him while he is yet near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them, to our God, because he is generous with forgiveness. My plans aren't your plans. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. Megan, I love this passage. I love it too. I think it's it's abundant and joyful and um and so so many of the verses, so, so many of the one-liners in this passage get like excerpted into our verse bite culture. Like um seek the Lord while he may be found. My thoughts are not your thoughts. These are the sorts of things that we see on Pinterest boards and embroidered on pillows, right? <laughs> um, but like seeing it together um in this in in this um invitation in this uh passage of abundance I just feel like is really lovely it is and and I would love to see you know our preachers this week really lean into some of the less embroidered uh, phrases you know especially you know, right eat what is good um listen and you will live why spend money for what isn't food I mean there's there's a lot we are gonna explore here right right exactly it just it's it seems so funny that like the things that get excerpted and highlighted for those like embroidery samplers are really maybe not what we want to actually be focusing <laughs> on in a preaching moment um that like this this week so um I'm really really excited to dive in um and to pick up a passage with familiar language and turn it over and see it in a new light. Absolutely. 
Well, Alicia, I think the first thing we got to talk about here is where we are where we find ourselves in the history of Israel. Absolutely. I think as we've been moving through the Old Testament text, we've been bouncing around, right? Like we had Moses in Deuteronomy, like after the Exodus, we had Abram at the very beginning of God's like covenant promises. We've got more references toward everlasting covenants and covenant faithfulness and um, a a loyal and committed love. Uh, And we've been bouncing around in that timeline a lot. So we're, we're here in the book of Isaiah, the middle of the scriptures, the middle of the journey, in a sense, in the middle of exile. Do you want to say some more about that, Megan? Yeah. So most scholars agree that chapter 55 is the end of second Isaiah. Um, second Isaiah, meaning like if, if we have this idea that the Isaiah was composed kind of in three parts, this is the end of the second part and second Isaiah, it's generally agreed upon was composed kind of while Israel was exiled living in Babylon. So that's kind of where we are on the banks of the rivers of Babylon. And this is a people who, you know, are longing, one might imagine, to return home or to no longer be um, enslaved. Um, These are people who would like the abundance that this, this poem, or you might call this a dinner invitation, is offering. Mm. I've been really uh, formed in my understanding of this passage in the section of Isaiah by Walter Brueggemann. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the necessity of understanding second Isaiah in light of enthronement liturgy. Mm-hmm. So by that, he means kind of this, this short refrain, like say among the nations, your God reigns. Say among the nations, your God reigns. Mm. So so before we move to like some of the moves that are being made today in this chapter, he really thinks it's essential that we understand this passage in light of this theological assertion, say among the nations, your God reigns. Mm. Okay, so with that, we then move from that theological assertion to real, concrete, political, and economic realities. Mm-hmm. So that where that's a theological claim on the ground, it looks like thirsty people coming to get water. It looks like people who have no money coming to get food and bread. Come without money at no cost, buy wine and milk. And then this fabulous question, why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Mm. Which is a question I want to come back to in the second half of the episode because I think this question is actually ultra relevant for us as well. Um, People who spend money on a whole lot of things Mm. that aren't food and a whole lot of things that don't satisfy. So are you with me so far, Alicia? Yes. Yes. I I love this um this context of enthronement liturgy. Um and and this like proclamation, your God reigns. Okay, great, with you. But what does that mean? If 
if God reigns, um, or rather because God reigns, how then do we live? What then is our new reality? What then um, is this kingdom in which we are now citizens because our God reigns? Um, And and that seems to be like the, the theological and practical work that we're always working out right? To, to proclaim and name our God reigns. Who is this God? What is this kingdom? How then do we live? Right, right. Well, and Brueggemann will go further to say that um, there, there's at least a couple things going on. I mean, one is that living into this new kingdom or living into God's reign now here, even in Babylon, is an act of civil disobedience. Mm to cease laboring for what doesn't satisfy, Mm -hmm. to call out the empire on their ideology that says there's no such thing as a free lunch, okay, to to live against that, to give away food, to throw a party where anyone is welcome, Mm -hmm. to live into that now, even in exile, is in fact civil disobedience. Yes. Yeah, to say, to say, Babylon has no claim on me. I belong to Yahweh. Um, and this then yeah. is how I inhabit the world. Um, it, yeah. it is. And at Yahweh's party, yeah. everybody's welcome. And you don't have to bring a side dish. Right. We got it. We, yeah, we got it covered. Um, and, and it will be deeply satisfying, right? Like you're, you're not going to. You're not going to wake up with a hangover the next day, right? That, the, that this, is, this is what is good what is nourishing, what is um, abundant and plenty. I, I love uh, the word in, um, in verse five is, is splendor, that, that Yahweh has endowed Israel with splendor. And that just feels so lavish, so lush. Well, and in verse two, enjoy the richest of feasts. Mm. So there's this really like this idea of like feast and you like, listen, come feast and you will live. Okay, now the second really, really important move that that Brueggemann wants to make here is to talk about being in exile and, and this desire for homecoming, that it's homecoming is, is geographical, right? The people are done on the banks of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Like they want to get back to their home, to their land. But it's more than that. It's also about the geography of imagination. Mm -hmm. So by that, he means, right, imagining, being able to see God's vision for this feast, for this moment, for the satisfaction, for um, the abundance, for all of the ways that we've previously been like literally captive, right? These are literally captive people living in exile, for them to not only like uh, get that glimpse of homecoming related to land and geography, but also homecoming related to imagination, to their Mm -hmm. ability to see what wasn't there before and to begin living into that now. Yes, yes, exactly. I love this. Um, We had mentioned in our discussion of Deuteronomy a couple of weeks ago about the ways that the people are invited into new formative liturgical practices because they had been formed by the empire of Egypt in in mm. so many ways, in so many like 
for so many generations. They had been formed um, by uh, oppressive labor, by harsh conditions, by a certain system of empire that had shaped them to think and feel and behave and inhabit the world in particular ways. So God had liberated the people from Egypt, but it was taken a a little bit more to liberate their imaginations from the captivity of Pharaoh, right? That you can, you could take the people out of Egypt, but it takes a while to get the Egypt out of the people in terms of reclaiming their imaginations, reclaiming their hearts, reclaiming their love and affection and loyalty and worship because they had been formed in very particular ways by the empire. And so we revisit that cycle again when we come to the exile, that the people are longing for homecoming, not just like geographic and physical, that they, that they desperately miss their homeland, but also their imaginations need to be um, reclaimed for Yahweh and Yahweh's reign of light and love and peace and justice rather than um, remain in exile in Babylon. And that, that this is the movement that they are free to do now, even if they are not free to physically, geographically return to their homeland, this turn away from, from the system of Babylon and, and devote your imagination, your attention, your love, your loyalty, your energy, your worship to God alone. Absolutely. You know, in another place, um, in speaking about the prophets more generally, mm. Brueggemann says that um, for the prophets, imagination must become must come before implementation. Mm. So, imagination before implementation. So, a super a super easy way to wrap our minds around this, right? Our the most famous sermon from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says, "I have a plan." No, he does not say, I have a plan. Mm -hmm. He says, I have a dream. So the imagination for what's possible has to come before the implementation of a plan. We have to first imagine the world as as this, with this theological vision that's already happened in 2nd Isaiah, that's before chapter 55. Say among the nations, your God reigns. And mm-hmm. what does that look like? Well, it turns out that once our imaginations are open, we see that the reign of God is not just about like theology up in the sky, detached from the ground. It's about bread and wine and milk and who gets to come to dinner and how much food there is and how big the feast is. And it's about life and death. Mm-hmm. So really just know, like, it's important, I think, for preachers to, like, be set free. Like, it's so easy. Um, We want to have these takeaways in preaching. We want to have this list of things to do. We want to say, like, go do these three things. And I mean, we're exploring this right now and talking about environmental justice. Mm -hmm. We want to send people off with their action steps so that they feel better. But I actually think it's more important to, like, to sit in that place of imagination that's, like, it's, it's grounded but not limited. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Um, yeah, I would love to keep exploring this, this realm of imagination. Um, and, and maybe it would be helpful like on air for us to just name the limitations that Babylon is placing on imaginations. Like oh, you, you mentioned, you mentioned before this idea of like, there's no such thing as a free lunch, like, like, Clock in, clock out, get your wages. Uh, we will teach you what you want. Um, we will show you in our advertising right. what satisfies, right? Like, uh, like, are there other are there other ways that like 
Babylon particularly offers a vision of the good life that we can name? Sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's plenty. I mean, I think a really, a really easy parallel here, since the scripture is about a feast, about food, would be to say that, like, in, um, you know, in U.S. context, like the empire, Babylon, captured our mm-hmm. imagination around how we eat and then changed, changed our entire food system, like in the yeah. course of just a few generations. Like this is not so, I mean, yes, we can, we can, the parallels feel so easy to draw between, um, I mean, you think about a captive people, like, I don't, I mean, we could imagine that they didn't have a lot of control over what they ate or when they ate, or maybe the recipes and the ingredients from their homeland, like what grew well in somebody's garden in Palestine might not grow so well in somebody else's garden in, you know, in Babylon. So, right. Well, and then even just think about like those who are trying to faithfully keep the the Jewish dietary laws, who are trying to faithfully live by by kosher practices and principles and they live in a foreign land, right? Um and I mean, we see that today where where people who who eat different vegetables or different types of meat or cook things in different ways are like stigmatized in in a sense or right, I mean like sure. like there there's a there's a only a very very small section labeled ethnic foods in the grocery store right like like it, so it's it's really easy to imagine the ways that the people of Israel held in captivity in Babylon um down to just like the very food that they eat feel really stuck feel really limited i like that word that you helped us use that there that there's just this this boundary that's been drawn around them and then the invitation from the lord is like come to a place of abundance come to a generous feast um come and eat what is good be nourished um be satisfied um and there there's this yeah, there, there's this like abundance of joy in the words that we're reading, but it's speaking, I think, to a pretty dark reality that they're still feeling rather stuck in captivity and that their imaginations and practices have been so limited by their situation in exile, by their situation um, in captivity. Right. But but the good but the good news is that like that that they're not actually stuck there, that they don't have to be stuck in their imaginations or in their hopes or in their, in their dreams that, that the Lord is offering something new, something abundant. Well, I think that's where the language of, we've talked about this a lot in Lent so far, this language of practices of resistance feels so important, Yeah, right? Because they, they might still be like on the banks of Babylon, but they're resisting. They're resisting mm-hmm. through civil disobedience, through not, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do your work for um, what doesn't satisfy. You know, they're resisting through throwing this dinner party. They're, the the very, um, Brueggemann says the very uh, chapter itself, like the poem, is even mm-hmm. an act of resistance because it's an interruption. Yeah. it It's a party invitation that goes against all of all of the ways that they have been taught and limited, you know, surrounding like what they can eat, what they can't eat, where their access is, what money, um, the way that money is a part of all that always and still. Um, right. So even the poem or the dinner invitation is a kind of interruption to that whole system. Yes. I love that. I love that, um, that the, that the, 
new imagination and new practices that they're being invited to interrupt the empire. But one of the things that's really fascinating is, you know, it's not interrupted. God's everlasting covenant is not interrupted mm. here, right? Um, that that God has been faithful, that God is doing God's work. God is keeping covenant faithfulness. And, and we're reminded again, this is verse in verses three, um, uh, three, three and four and five that that God has been doing this covenant work um and and God's God's movement, God's love, God's abundance is not interrupted. however, living into God's covenant reality interrupts the systems of the empire in Absolutely. some meaningful ways. Absolutely. And I love that the way that the second half of the reading, is affirming all that, right? Like, mm. it's as if God is saying, like, listen, <laughs> I'm going to deal with the wicked. Yeah. Okay? And, like, you you keep seeking. You confess the places that, yeah, you're in need of forgiveness, sure. But but my plans aren't your plans. Like, you might not understand when, you're, when your little, literal geography is going to change. Like, mm. yes, you have been waiting. And yes, you are still waiting. My plans are not your plans. Like, I mm-hmm. I am still God. Like, I still reign, even yeah. in battle. Yes, yes. And... And you you are free to proclaim your God reigns um, even in Babylon. Even in Babylon. Well, that's it's been such a rich conversation so far. I want to pause to take a break and offer a reflective prayer as we let some of our like exegetical conversation settle. We've been talking a lot um, and relying a lot on Walter Brueggemann's work, and I wanted to read a Lenten prayer from his collection called Odd to Heaven and Rooted in Earth. This is a Lenten prayer titled, Revise Our Taking. You, you giver, you have given light and life to the world. You have given freedom from Pharaoh to your people Israel. You have given your only son for the sake of the world. You have given yourself to us. You have given and forgiven, and you remember our sins no more. And we, in response, are takers. We take eagerly what you give us. We take from our neighbors near at hand as is acceptable. We take from our unseen neighbors greedily and acquisitively. We take from our weak neighbors thoughtlessly. We take all that we can lay our hands on. It dawns on us that our taking does not match your giving. In this Lenten season, revise our taking, that it may be grateful and disciplined even as you give in ways generous and overwhelming. Amen. Alicia, now that we're back, let's talk about moving from text to sermon. Where to begin? There's a lot here. I'm, I happen to really love this scripture and 
um, have spent a good bit of time with it. What, what are, where do you want to start, Alicia? Oh my gosh. I don't even know, but it just feels like, like if you're not inviting people to the table this week, I feel like you maybe should. Like whether, whether that's like coming to a Eucharistic moment, um, or, or like literally having a potluck after service, it just feels like, 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 we should be eating together this yes, week, absolutely. <laughs> like in in some in some way. Um, and so I'm I'm not sure what that looks like in individual contexts or given um, like our local pandemic protocols. But like for a sermon about coming to an abundant table, like please let there be a table <laughs> that people are actually yeah. coming to. Well, and you know, on that note, as we talk about. Um, having our imagination set free from the hold of Babylon, from the hold of the empire, specifically, you know, with regard to food, we have a whole lot of other examples mm. in scripture of, and and examples that are probably, quite frankly, a lot more familiar. You know, right. this first, like the first part of Isaiah 55 here, like, I, I mean, it wasn't until it came up in the lectionary, um, you know, two cycles ago that I really gave it attention for the first time. So some of your sermon could include some showing from some of these other abundant feasts, right? Be that the feeding mm. of the 5,000 or the fact that the way the disciples um, realize Christ is risen or that it's really him is in two different places. One, when he breaks bread and another, when he serves them fish. So, you know, it's really like, there's a lot of different places you could use um, abundant showings of scripture as you move towards the table. Um, and then hopefully as you're able to share, if you are able to share um, a meal with people, people after, um, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Alicia. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you for those um, those New Testament images of, of Jesus really breaking bread, offering an abundant feast. But if you're if you're rooted in in the Old Testament this season as well, I'm reminded of uh, the story of of Abram entertaining the three strangers and um, a feast that is representative of God's dwelling and God's presence. Um, I'm reminded of yeah, there they're just like several other images. I I think of Psalm 23, you prepare a table before mm. me in the presence of my enemies. Um that that the 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 scriptures are rich with this imagery of a a table that is laid. Um and and the ways that that's used as a metaphor for God's like abundance, God's um reality in which we inhabit. And so um, if there are some companion passages that make sense here, that's like a great place to lean in. Great. Well, there I think are some other like application questions is like what's particularly Lenten about this text? Um, uh, Cause it, in, in some ways uh, like Isaiah frequently pops up in our Advent liturgy. Right. Um, and, and there, there are lots of, there are lots of times again, can, considering how important food and feasting is to the biblical imagination, this passage could be really anywhere. So like why in particular is it Lent? Um, and and what is the specific Lenten invitation here I think is worth talking about. Um, and for me, what, what's really landing is this, is this uh, imagination piece that we've 
we've mentioned that that Babylon or Pharaoh or whichever other empire we might be part of, Rome, uh, like fill in the blanks, like that empire can hold our imaginations captive. Um, and the and the Lenten practice of confession, repentance, and resistance is one of the ways in which we turn toward God's reality and away from the captivity of empire. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why we engage in practices of, of fasting, of giving something up and participating in practices of resistance so that our imaginations begin to be set free from the things that we think we want or the things that the empire tells us we should desire, but are ultimately not things that satisfy Right. And so the, the scripture invites us to to listen carefully to the Lord, to seek the Lord while he may be found, to turn toward toward God's abundant table and away from the treadmill of the empire. Right. Absolutely. I love that you uh, made that connection for us. Thank you. I'm also thinking about a couple of questions for our conversational preachers or those having yeah. discussion. Um you know, we're looking constantly through this series on entry points for conversation about environmental issues. I would love for our congregation to explore uh, a question. What is good food? Yeah, um, what and, satisfies? Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the scripture says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. So what is good? Like what satisfies? Um, and and my guess is that there's actually, that might be a, a harder question to answer or there might be a more difference than you anticipate. So mm. what is good food? Um, and then I'm also curious about this question, like why spend money on what isn't food and labor for what doesn't satisfy? Mm. We do this literally all the time. Um, and in fact, you know, with related to food justice, I'm pretty persuaded that that those of us who can should spend a whole lot more on food mm. than we currently do. And, you know, obviously that's not an option for many, many people. I'll remind us of a quote that I used earlier in this series, actually, from this urban farmer and food justice worker, Jermaine Jenkins. She says, food means everything if you don't have it and nothing if you do. So, mm -hmm. right, for it's really, I'm speaking to those of us who do have food, like spend more um, in order to, to make sure, I mean, just food that's grown better, usually grown, grown better is so vague, but for all of the abundance of reasons, right, uh, food, good quality food usually costs more. And I don't right. think we need to think of that as a bad thing. Um, and especially Isaiah is literally asking us, like, why spend money on what isn't food and your labor for what doesn't satisfy? So while a lot of us look at our monthly budgets and we're like, oh, got to cut on groceries. It's, it seems like Isaiah is like, actually cut the cable first, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, cut the, cut the clothes shopping or, or the entertainment before you cut the food. Like, think about spending on, yeah. on things that satisfy. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just like like a really, um, like a concrete personal example, right? Like, I'm committed to only purchasing um, direct fair trade coffee, right? To make sure that 
like my daily ritual doesn't contribute to the exploitation of labor for those who who grow and harvest these beans um and 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 of course that costs more yeah it's more per bag more per pound to uh to drink fair trade coffee um but it's worth it absolutely and i think that that's that's a great example because that's the case for a lot of food right food that's organic or grown without pesticides costs more because it's um it's harder to grow turns out right when we're not just spraying dousing it with insecticide um there's not as big of abundance of it um food that's grown lo- locally often um costs more even though it's better because it's grown on a smaller scale right or the people um in your own community it's possible that they're more likely to be paid a living wage. And so the food that they sell at your local farmer's market, if they're paying a living wage, like obviously the food is going to cost more than food that comes from a big box store that might have literally no concern or um, ethical value around paying a living wage whatsoever. So so really, I think this is a place that the, um, the abundance of options for you to explore <laughs> it's an abundant story or abundant poem after all. Um, and there's an abundance of options. Um, I'm going to link in the show notes, just a really concrete, um, offering. I have a webinar I did just last year. So it's really not too dated, um, with Nazarenes for Creation Care, thinking around issues of food justice, specifically for faith communities. So less so households, but more so like the meals that you're eating together as your church. That resource is linked in the show notes. It's an hour webinar. Um, It's there for you if you're interested in exploring this more concretely or or moving from the the imagination piece into, into practices. So that's there for you. But really, there are so many ways that you can be talking about what is good food. And then again, why spend money on what isn't food when we have people who don't have enough food? So another angle that drops like food justice uh, related to land might be to talk about food access, which of course is also about mm-hmm. justice. Um, not trying to put those two things uh, against one another because they're all, of course, inter- interconnected. But, you know, talking about food access and um, who has food and who doesn't. I mean, these are... There are so many ways to take this this particular reading and um, put it on the ground in your community. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so many like application and and entry points. Um, but really, I think like that's like that's the really uh, straightforward path that I'm hearing is like let's talk about food like really concretely. Right. Um, let's let's ground our imaginations in this in this biblical image of abundance and a plentiful, beautiful table that is like crowned with splendor and like to eat what is good um, and to trust that God is providing what is good. And so, okay, well, now that our imaginations are there, what does that look like as we um, as we browse the grocery store? What does that look like when we gather as a faith community to sit down and share a meal? Like, what does that look like in our practical everyday concerns? Like, that just feels like such an, um, a clear path forward, right? Not easy or simple necessarily, but clear, right? Let's talk yeah. about food that is good, ground our imaginations and who God is and what God is doing, and keep taking one step at a time toward that like that which is good and nourishing and satisfying and truly um, 
part of God's reign. Well, and this idea in itself, the fact that food is good, right, is in itself like, I mean, that in itself might be something that your people need to hear. In a culture mm. that's like, actually, food is something that I weigh and count for calories and, you know, like on really problematic, like dieting culture and body image yeah. stuff. So, so to even reclaim food as something that's good, as something given from God, that part of the image of homecoming, like, is a party. Yes. And it's enjoying the riches of feasts and exploring that um, could, I think, be really liberating for people whose imaginations are captive to our diet culture and to food as being like a means to an end um, as, you know, in contrast to like a gift from God. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. And I think that's so necessary. That's like yet another way our imaginations are held captive by the empire when the Lord is inviting us into a different reality. Amen. Amen indeed. I think that we could, I mean, we there's so much to say. We could keep talking for an, another hour, but we won't do that to our listeners. Alicia uh, we'll and I talk that. about food like not, <laughs> we don't only talk yeah. about food, let's be honest, when we're like but, looking at scripture. <laughs> yeah, but we, we do talk about food. <laughs> we both love food. We both love cookbooks. We both love cooking. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And so we will um, we will say that this has been a rich conversation for today and that that's all the time we have for an on-air discussion. We'll remind our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week and to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. You can connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. That really helps us get the word out and we're so grateful for that engagement. Special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week as we continue our journey through Lent in the Old Testament passages. We will be moving to Joshua next week with more discussion about food. We'll see you then.